Welcome to the Daily Well Podcast with Andrew and Kate Seppo, your podcast for all things holistic health and wellness from a Christian worldview. All right, guys, we're really excited to talk about today's topic. Gut health is a it's a very passion project for us. It's a hot topic right now, too. Hot topic, and it's it's super important because everything you eat ends up in some way or another either powering or or driving how you live and how you, how you move. And so what you put into your body absolutely affects what comes out of your body, whether that's just movement or, or thoughts or words and that kind of stuff. So yeah, let's take it away. Gut health. What yeah. is it 101? You know, I think the gut-brain connection has been acknowledged for many years, even perhaps without us consciously realizing it, right? You have a pit in your stomach. You have a gut feeling. Different stress levels can alter your hunger level. Some people get not hungry at all and will totally not eat and fast during periods of high stress. Some people, my husband included, might stress eat during periods of stress. (laughs) What? I would never do that. Cue the Michigan football games. Yeah, But because your gut produces neurotransmitters such as serotonin, it plays a critical role in your mental health. Poor gut health leads to poor mental health, which leads to poor physical health and vice versa. They're all really, really interconnected. Even 70% of your immune system is located in your gut. So without a healthy gut, you really cannot experience health in other areas of your life. Yeah, and one of the things that we even talk about too throughout, your gut's often called your second brain. It's it's so, as my wife just pointed out, there's so many different neurotransmitters, different nerve endings. Your vagus nerve, which is one of your cranial nerves, it highly innervates your, your gut and all throughout your GI tract. And so those things really, they influence a lot of what goes on in your body, comes from your gut. Like I said, anything that you eat, all the nutrients we get have to pass through our gut and then get absorbed into the body in some way or fashion. So it's so important. As Again, I think everybody understands what you eat and, and it impacts your health in some way. And this is why, because the gut is, it, it drives it drives the function of so many things in your body. And I promise we will break this down into bite-sized chunks that are really actionable. But I just really want to give you the background for why your gut plays such an influential role in your health. So, so stress really affects your gut lining, specifically through an immunoglobulin that we're going to call IgA. This IgA is going to act like the chain mail and a fence in your gut lining. So it's really the barrier and the strength that's not allowing undigested food out. It's not allowing pathogens in. It's keeping everything where it should be for the time being. It's permeable. So yeah, it, it lets things go through that need to go through. But like a chain fence, you know, a giant dog can't jump through, but yes. maybe a little, you know, water can or yeah, a little thing can go through. Yes. But that level of IgA becomes greatly suppressed when you're under high periods of stress, especially prolonged periods of stress. Um, It leads to elevated cortisol. And when that IgA is reduced, you can develop what's called a leaky gut. And that's exactly what it sounds like. Undigested food can get out, bad pathogens can get in, and it can create a really irritable bowel that doesn't digest food the way that God has designed your body to digest that food. So what can you be doing to help with your stress levels, help with that chain mail fence, that IgA level in your body? Um, Well, there's a lot of things you can do, which I always find really encouraging especially if I'm feeling like, oh, maybe I didn't have the healthiest day today. It's always helpful for me to look at the number of things that I do get to do correctly, even if I feel like I'm splurging or maybe not being as diligent in other areas. You're the practical one. You want to know what you can do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that can really improve, uh, again, the correct levels of your IgA, dietary and lifestyle changes. Again, having prebiotics, probiotics, 
different things that help, again, with the amount of bacteria in your gut, because actually you do need good bacteria in your gut, right? That's one of the things we think, oh, I'll just take an antibiotic for everything, for anything, and it'll help if I have, an, I have a, tummy, a tummy ache or a stomach ache or I have any issues or I'm, I'm feeling just antibiotic, boom, down the hatch and it's good to go. Well, again, an anti an antibiotic simply just kills off anything that's that's going on. So good and bad bacteria get killed off, and we need to have that. So having good amounts of prebiotics and probiotics really help kind of keep that balance. Uh, glutamine, uh, vitamin A, and fasting can all kind of help with cre- creating the proper levels of IgA in your system. Yes, and we're going to break this down. And a lot of those simple things that Andrew had just mentioned as well tie in with helping the good bacteria to flourish and the bad bacteria to be in, taken into control from the good bacteria. Um, because it always is a balance. You're always going to have bacteria. And for the most part, they're a really beneficial thing. And you want them present in your gut in the right amounts in the right levels. So a prebiotic, it acts as a healthy food to help promote the growth of beneficial bacteria. And these are going to include most things such as whole foods. A lot of fruits and vegetables are considered good prebiotics. And that's different than a probiotic, which is introducing the bacteria itself. So the prebiotic is the food, the probiotic is the actual bacteria. And I really like to get most of my probiotics directly from food. Now, of course, you can talk with your healthcare provider if you're in a different season of life and you need to be on a specific probiotic pill to help build that up. Totally can be in the realm of options for you. But for example, the best that you're probably going to get from a supplement is 1 billion bacteria per capsule. And again, you're hoping that that's going to survive your gut lining, which is why I love food, because food is designed to survive your gut lining and actually get that good bacteria to its final destination where it needs to be. But again, a pill is maybe at best a billion, and one tablespoon of sauerkraut juice has over one trillion bacteria. Love me some sauerkraut. We just had Reuben's for lunch, so they're really good. Oh, so good. Yeah. But we made our own sauerkraut with a head of cabbage. It's going to give you a lot of jars of sauerkraut. It's really cheap, and it's a way more affordable way to get in way more good probiotics. Yeah. So other foods, that anything that's fermented. So like my wife said, sauerkraut, yogurt, homemade, sourdough ginger bug, fermented vegetables using whey. Those things are really easy to get, uh, again, homemade or, or whole food probiotics. You can also find things, but those are really easy to get. And, and some of those. Yes. Yeah. So the next thing that Andrew had mentioned earlier was a thing called glutamine. And that is the most abundant amino acid that's found in your body. And what that's going to do is, again, help provide a good source of building block material for the good bacteria. And some of the best dietary sources for that glutamine are going to be your animal proteins, good high-quality dairy, and if you don't do meat or dairy, raw spinach and cabbage are going to be your next best options to get that glutamine in. Thanks for listening to the Daily Well Podcast with Andrew and Kay Seppo. If you have any questions or topic ideas, you can reach out to the Daily Well Podcast on our website, myhopefm.net. Just click podcast. The last thing uh, that, uh, that I mentioned, which I'm really passionate about, it's maybe not one of Kate's favorite things to do, it's fasting. So again, sometimes it's all about eating good things and putting good things in you, and sometimes it's about letting your gut just rest. And fasting can be a lot of different things, but really when you eat a significant amount of your whole body's cellular activity goes towards digesting your food. 
it's toxic for it not to. Again, you can't just let food sit in your stomach and sit in your gut without it passing through. Otherwise, again, that leaky gut thing goes, and all of a sudden you have undigested parts of uh, your meal getting absorbed into the rest of your body. That's really dangerous. So you have to, and your body understands that. So um, that does, however, mean that there's a delay in the functions of your immunity, your cellular repair, and regeneration, and other housekeeping uh, items for your for your body. So when you're focused on eating, your body is focused on digestion and not actually taking care of the rest of your body. So, And that kind of goes into like when you're feeling sick, a lot of times you're not hungry. And I know there is advice out there to totally ignore that. Keep eating. Your body needs fuel. And I always say, listen to your body. Because if your body is saying, yo, I'm not hungry, it's because it wants to divert all of its energy to fighting this pathogen and not to digesting food. Because as soon as you eat, it's going to have to split the activities that it's, you know, it's now divided between. Do I conquer this bacteria or this virus or do I digest this food? And both can actually get delayed. And so when possible, when you're not feeling hungry and you're sick, definitely fast. Or at least eat something that that's really easily digestible, like, like liquids. So whether it's bone like soup, bone broth, uh, smoothies. smoothies, that kind of stuff. So we're not telling you, hey, if you have a fever, don't eat anything. We're just saying, hey, be mindful. Let your gut have a break. And so that, that's that's why fasting for periods at a time, even when you're not sick, can be extremely beneficial to your cellular health. It allows your body kind of some breathing room to focus on other needed tasks. It also re- helps to reset your true hunger signals. Again, talk about different hormones being released to not whether that's ghrelin or leptin. Uh, leptin, yeah. So those two drive either your desire to eat or to not eat. And another yeah. thing I'm going to throw in here too is all of the research for intermittent fasting historically has been done on men and men do very well with fasting. Their hormone levels do not have the same waves that a female would go up and down with estrogen and progesterone. And so men are really good about fasting any time of the month. There's really no restrictions for them. And I had started to see some varying thoughts on females fasting mm. and There are different schools of thoughts on that. Obviously, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, you need to talk with your medical professional about that. But some of the best research that I came across was that if women are going to do best fasting at a certain point in their cycle, so we'll probably have to do a whole nother dedicated episode for this, but most generally, women do best in fasting the first half of their cycle, which would be the start of your period for the next two weeks, because your hormones are naturally lower in that phase, and it's going to mirror more of what a male's hormone levels would be. And then after that two weeks, your hormones are going to go up quite a bit, and fasting can begin to interfere with their levels and make you feel more sick, and it might not be as beneficial. Yeah, and and just to even talk about what fasting can look like, intermittent fasting typically means between 12 to 16 hours you don't eat. Most people already do this for about eight hours at night. That's why a lot of people say, hey, if I don't eat after dinner, you eat around six or seven, and you don't eat until breakfast, I'd say that's, you know, seven or eight. That's, an, uh, that's just about, you know, 12, maybe 13 hours. If you extend it out to say, hey, I'm not going to eat until like 10 or 11 or maybe wait till lunch, it's a really easy way to get up. Again, have maybe some hot tea in the morning, have some water, let your body just have just a little bit of nutrients from that, and then eat a fuller meal when you eat to lunch. It's a really easy way to only have two meals a day and you're already sleeping, you know, the majority of that time that you're not eating. Absolutely. And adding in that practice, simply one, two times a week can make a massive difference as well. Yeah. Exercise. You talked about dietary uh, things. Now, exercise can also help with this. Physical activity helps lead to stimulating your gut motility and prevents constipation. So if you're somebody who's like, hey, I, you know, on a regular basis, let's talk about number twos first, okay? So number twos. 
Um, the, the, the one stat that I remember reading in school and learning in school is that, again, not everybody's the same. A normal amount of bowel movements can be three times a day or three times a week. It just depends on you typically. But if you're somebody who's pretty regularly and you're, and you're having issues going, getting your body moving can be a great way to help kind of push that thing along, push, push the stuff along in your system. Again, do, doing whether it's a, a whole body workout, going for a walk or run, it really helps kind of get some of that consistency going. Um, it also can promote, again, healthy gut bacteria getting stimulated through that whole process as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the last two things that are going to make a big difference in your gut health are to one, limit alcohol and sugar. It can lead to gastritis, which is an inflammation of your gut, which automatically begins to decrease the good bacteria and alters that digestion. I think we've talked probably about alcohol and sugar in almost every podcast, and it's something to be extremely mindful of for literally every aspect of your health. I think we talk about movement, so exercise. Diet, sugar, and alcohol in every one of our podcasts. Probably. You're right, yes. Um, and the last one is to reduce your stress because the way that we used to describe this in our office is when you look at stress, the classic example is when you get chased by a bear, right? What does your body prioritize and what does it not in that period of really high stress? And when you see a bear and you go, I'm about to be lunch, your body actually really no longer cares about your digestion. It's not a priority for your survival at that moment. Your body doesn't really care about your immunity which makes sense because we just talked about how those two are extremely interlinked. And it also doesn't care about your fertility or your reproductive system. And that makes sense in the sense of, oh, I'm being chased by a bear. But you have to remember that when you have work stress, family stress, any type of stress, your body physiologically reacts in the same manner. And when that stress is present all day, every day for seasons on end, you're going to begin to see a real negative impact on all three of those areas, your gut, your gut health, in your digestion, your immunity, and your fertility. They are all going to take a hit. So again, in summary, I know we, we said a lot of stuff today. Our goal is to make these podcasts really practical and applicable. So if you're taking notes, here's in summary. Again, gut health directly influences every other area of your health. Number two, healthy foods to uh, to include in your and you and those that are incorporated prebiotics, probiotics, and glutamine. Three, Reduce the amount of sugar and alcohol that you put into your body. Four, implement a form of fasting that works for your schedule, whether that's doing it for a whole day, once a week, or you know, doing intermittent fasting, you know, maybe three to five days a week, whatever fits for you. And be mindful again where you're at and your period of, of life, whether you're you know pregnant, if you're a woman, making sure you're you're finding an ideal time during your cycle when you're a man. Just do it because it's good. <laughs> uh, engage in regular physical activity. And then six, limit your physiological stress. Be mindful to practice some of those things we talked about. Go back and listen to our podcast on stress. A lot of really good practical tips that you can help reduce that in your life. And one of them is really just having a really consistent prayer life and being mindful, again, spiritually, what's going on. Again, we think that God created your body to function a certain way. And being mindful how your gut responds to what you put into it is a way we honor God and honor our temple. Well, thank you all for joining us today. I hope that we gave you some good information about how to better your digestive health or your gut health and that it's practical information that you can take home to your families. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Daily Well Podcast with Andrew and Kate Seppo. We pray that you're able to take a piece of information back to use for your health journey. And if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at myhopefm.net. Just click podcast.